Good morning, church. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture will be from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, which is on page 304 of the Bibles in the seatbacks. If you do not have a Bible, please accept the Bible in the seatback as a free gift from Northridge. Hear the word of the Lord. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Thus says God's word. Let's pray for what we're about to hear in God's word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth. Thank you that we do not have to go through just wave after wave of of truth that we regard as relative because we have, as I said earlier in my prayer, a sure foundation that what God has said, God, that we have both your your truth in your word and the, the confirming reality of Jesus that confirms everything that you have said since before the foundation of the world, and we thank you for that. God, I pray that you would, as we move into a new study, I pray that you would open our minds to hear and to know and to understand, to be transformed by the hearing of your word. Lord, I pray that you would uh, do a miracle in each one of us, Lord, to hear, God, as as though uh, that to receive these words, rather, as what they really are, as the word of God, as Paul said to the Thessalonians. God, I pray that you would help me in my faltering, stammering tongue, my wayward thoughts, that I would be able to clearly communicate uh, the beautiful truth that you have spoken to us in the Bible. And Lord, I thank you for this. I thank you for the people that are gathered here today in spite of the snowstorm, and I pray that you would just bless them uh, for their faithfulness. And we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to just real briefly before I begin, thank all of you for uh, last week. Uh, and so many of you were just so gracious to us, Ginger and I, um, with the uh, the loss of my mother. And uh, you guys brought food. You uh, sent so many encouraging words. Some of you took up a collection that was just so uh, wonderful and, and just received with, with so much gratitude by us. Uh, many of you showed up yesterday for the funeral, and that just really touched our hearts so deeply. And so on behalf not only of Ginger and I, but uh, Cameron and Raven as well, and, and uh, uh, the grandkids, we just are so grateful for you guys. You guys have no idea how easy it is to uh, to pastor this church because of the people that are here. And so I'm very grateful for you, and I would be remiss if I didn't remark on that. Um, as I mentioned, as I was praying before the sermon, we're embarking on a brand new series today, one that I have actually been thinking about for quite some time that I wanted to do. Um, uh, we're going to consider the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And I may be different than you in this regard, but I have heard 
uh, you know, uh, over the many decades that I've been a believer, I have heard very few sermons from the book of Proverbs. I've heard references, proof texts taken from the book of Proverbs to shore up a point that was being made, but I've, I've rarely heard a sermon that was from Proverbs. And, and I can honestly say, unless there's something I'm forgetting, um, in all those decades, I have never heard a sermon series on Proverbs. And so I, I've been intrigued by the book, and so I wanted to tackle it. Um, there are perhaps many reasons for the the, the dearth of, of time spent in Proverbs uh, for most churches. It's not, it, it's, it's not an easy book to preach verse by verse, which as you know, if you've been at Northridge for any time, that's our preferred mode of preaching, that we take a book and we go through it from verse 1 all the way to the end, uh, verse by verse. And there, the reason is because unlike the, say, the epistles of the New Testament, Proverbs doesn't lay out a systematic theological proposition that just progresses from one thing to the next. Unlike the Gospels or the Old Testament historical books, it's not a narrative that moves progressively from one scene to the next scene. Unlike the prophetic writings of the Old Testament, it doesn't give God's word for a specific epoch in redemptive history. It's different than that. Instead, what it does is it takes wisdom as its sole subject throughout the entirety of the book for 31 chapters. In fact, the first uh, the first through the ninth chapter, the, about a third roughly of the book, uh, contains longer meditation, as does the, the 30th and 31st chapter, longer meditations of the value and the necessity of wisdom for the life of the believer. While chapters 10 through 29, right there in the middle, they contain one or two sentence maxims, just one after the other, that shift, that shift so quickly from topic to topic to show how godly wisdom is to be applied. And Proverbs, when we think about the book of Proverbs, most of the people I've talked to feel this way. It's thought of as a collection of these maxims that cover all facets of life. You hear things in, in here about parenting and marriage and finances and temptation and work and friendship and government and all kinds of things. And they're all kind of blended together, especially in those middle chapters 10 through 29. Now, our task in the next several weeks is discover altogether what this book is saying, how it says it, and why that would even matter to us here in 2024. And there are the, the reason this is important because you live in a time when there are many places to find counsel and to find advice around this. Everybody is just itching to give you some advice. Have you guys noticed that? We, we see it in books. We see it on TV shows. We see it in, in movies. We see it on the Internet. I remember when when uh, the, the Internet was kind of first becoming a thing in the early 90s, and, and uh, you know they always called it the information superhighway. We're bombarded with information, things that, that people want to tell you uh, how to make choices. And, and there's so many places, but what we need to know is how do we know if what we're getting is genuine, real, true wisdom, or if it's just somebody's opinion or somebody's best guess. And so we have to approach Proverbs with the conviction that heavenly wisdom is always superior to the world's counsels. 
which is exactly the opposite of what people say. They say, you can't trust the Bible here because science has proven this, or you can't trust the, the Bible here because people's cultural experience has proven this. And so we, we have to decide, we have to resolve as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that God's wisdom is superior and, in a sense, is the only true wisdom there is. Amen? James speaks of wisdom... In chapter 3 of his book, he, he, he speaks of wisdom that is earthly, that is unspiritual, that is even demonic. And we would call that not wisdom, but wisdom. <laughs> but then he goes on to say that the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And this is the kind of wisdom which we will find, which we are guaranteed to find right here in the book of Proverbs. Now, before we begin, you need to know that virtually all cultures, both ancient and modern, have collected a body of what they would recognize as accepted wisdom. Everyone has done it. Every every ancient pagan culture, every modern scientific and technological culture has collected a, a body of thinking that they've called accepted wisdom. But what sets up the wisdom found in Proverbs apart is that it does not emerge from people's experience or even their 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 thinking their intellect but it emerges from what the, what proverbs itself calls the fear of Yahweh now we're going to talk a lot about that both later on this morning and then next week but uh but what, what and, and so that that makes it completely different than anything you're going to find on Oprah, anything you're going to find in the self-help section of Barnes and Noble. It, that it emerges from this fear of Yahweh and, and its compilation, the, the collecting of these wisdom items themselves was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Nobody else can say that. And although there are proverbs that are attributed to others. Verse 1 of our text tells us that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, as he was the principal author, the, comp- the principal compiler or collector of the vast majority of the content here. When King Solomon, you might recall, succeeded his father David as king, God asked him what divine assistance that he would request for his reign as he's starting out as a young man about to lead God's people. And God says, what can I do? Ask me anything. And Solomon asked God for wisdom to rule the people of God. And this pleased the Lord greatly. And God told him in 1 Kings 3.11, he says, Because you've asked for this, for wisdom, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. God granted him wisdom superior to every other person who's ever lived, with the exception of Christ Jesus. 
It was God's answer to this request that gave Solomon the ability to both author and compile the book that we're meditating on, as well as Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes. But there's more to understand from the way that Solomon introduces this book. You'll note in this book that he calls himself, he refers to himself as Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Now, why is that important? Can you think of anyone else throughout the entirety of Scripture, Old and New Testament, who is referred to both as the son of David and the king of Israel? Who would that be? Who? Jesus. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the king of Israel. Proverbs, so so Proverbs, we got to understand from the very first verse, it looks beyond Solomon to Christ, who reigns by wisdom and is greater than Solomon. Isaiah chapter 11, uh, uh, verse 2, it describes prophetically the ministry of the Messiah who is coming. And it says that the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Listen, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Matthew twelve forty two. Jesus is, as we frequently find him, he's, he's leveling a charge, rebuking those who are opposing his anointed ministry. And he says in, in Matthew twelve forty two, the queen of the south, which you might know from the story in the Old Testament is the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Why will they condemn this generation that Jesus is a part of? For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Remember the greatest, the the wisest man that ever lived? And behold, Jesus says, something greater than Solomon is here. Proverbs may have been written and compiled by Solomon, but it magnifies the wisdom of Christ. If you want to know the wisdom of Christ, look to Proverbs. Just like if you want to know the holiness of God, look to the law of Moses. You see these depictions of who Christ is. It's not just an advice column. It is showing you, it's displaying for you in glory, the wisdom that resides in Christ. And therefore, as I said, we're not approaching this book merely to search out good advice or to shore up our social skills. We have come to sit at the feet of Jesus and let him give us much needed guidance for our lives. To instruct us in righteousness, to rescue us from the constant pull of folly. Often in Proverbs, Solomon will introduce his counsel by encouraging his sons To listen to him. Hear what I say, my son. Says that sort of thing over and over again in the book of Proverbs. But God has inspired and preserved Proverbs so that the sons and daughters of the kingdom may hear the words of Christ. This reality should cause us to diligently pay attention to what Proverbs has to say. Now, there's one other hopefully helpful observation I want to give you about Proverbs before we dig in. Proverbs is a book of maxims, not promises. 
A promise is something that God has said that bears his personal uh, uh, guarantee of fulfillment. The, the Bible promises in Isaiah 53 that Christ will bear the sins of the world. Has Christ kept that promise fully, right? The Bible tells us throughout the Old and New Testament that Christ will return and he will reign in glory forever in a recreated creation. Is Christ going to keep that promise? Yes. But nothing, the nature of promise is that nothing God determines to do can ever be thwarted at all. But a maxim is, by definition, an established principle or proposition. It's a principle generally received or admitted as true. There are, there are exceptions to maxims, but not to promises. Let me give you one of the clearest examples of an exception to a maxim. Proverbs 22.6, we prayed it over our children, you probably have prayed it over your children. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old... He will not depart from it. But I have known as a pastor many godly, diligent parents who have seen their children fall away from church and godly instruction. Why? Because what we're dealing with is not a a, a rock-solid promise. It's a maxim. And and here's the difference. It, It can't be a promise in the strictest sense because there are exceptions to it. But maxims, before you say, well, what good is a maxim? What, what, you know, I want promises, not maxims. Maxims have great value. They show us the way that leads, pay attention, to the greatest likelihood of a positive outcome. They show us the, 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 what things can, can more likely lead to catastrophe. But there are exceptions. For example, Proverbs says over and over and over and over again that the righteous will be blessed. But sometimes for God's good good purposes, which are always right, the righteous suffer. Have you noticed that in your life? No one's one's wanting to admit it. Have you noticed that sometimes the righteous suffer? While the unrighteous are sometimes the most healthy. They're the most wealthy. What is going on here? Is Proverbs a book of lies? No! Because it shows you, in these maxims, it shows you that, that as it says in Proverbs, that there, there's a, a way that seems right to a man. But the end leads to destruction. When everything's going right, when everything's going great, when everything's coming up roses, what do you do? You think, well, this is the right way, right? But the, but, but when we submit to God's wisdom, this is what I want to say, even though it's going to sound like I'm literally just contradicting what I just said. Let me, let me assure you that submitting to God's wisdom always, always, always leads to a blessed life. It always does. Even if the majority of those benefits are received by you in the next life. So you're never like just thinking, wow, God said all this stuff in Proverbs and none of it's true. No, every bit of it's true. You may just have to wait to receive all of the benefits. But similarly, as we approach Proverbs, take comfort in this. No matter how perfect the estate of the wicked appears now, it is guaranteed to dissolve into a horrific nightmare when they face God's judgment. 
So regardless of the exceptions that sometimes occur in the application of Proverbs, we should steadfastly acknowledge that they represent the communicated wisdom of God and fashion our lives after them. So, the text that we read today, verses chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, serves as Solomon's introduction to this collection of wise sayings. And after he in, introduces the royal nature of wisdom, the son of David, the king of Israel, in verse 1, he proceeds to explain the purpose of this book, the various benefits of wisdom, and how wisdom benefits different categories of people. And four verbs in verses 2 through 6 tell us why Proverbs are given. The first verb is to know. He says in uh, verse 2 that Proverbs are given to know wisdom and instruction. Solomon says that one of the reasons of the Proverbs is so that we'll be able to recognize what is truly wisdom. And recognize it, uh, and by comparing it to the counsel of, of the world that is the, uh, with what is found in Scripture. So we take this this constant barrage of good advice, so-called good advice from the world, and we compare it with the Word of God. So we'll know what to do, even in the most unclear of situations. When we listen to the world's wisdom, we run the risk of not knowing that the baby in the womb is a living human being. We run the risk of not knowing that boys can't become girls and girls can't become boys. We, we run the risk of thinking that everyone can just decide those things for themselves, the value of a human life, their own sex. We're told when we listen to the world's wisdom that humanity is subservient to nature and that genuine truth is whatever is true for you alone. But the truth of these things and many others is written in the Bible. And so we have to decide whether we build our lives on man's wisdom or God's wisdom. Proverbs tells us what the, what the certain end of both wisdom and foolishness is. People who are wise tend to prosper and experience blessing. While the foolish fall victim to a thousand agonies. The wise have clarity, but the fools are blinded. Much of Proverbs is a contrast between two personified concepts that are given the names Lady Wisdom and Madam Folly. Wisdom calls for everyone who will listen to her voice and be blessed and rescued. But Folly sings the siren song, seducing the foolish to their bitter end and final devastation. Lady Wisdom doesn't just introduce herself in Proverbs, but she tells those who listen what they must do. And this is what it means to know instruction. Those who hear her call are given many specific instructions in order to flourish and experience the blessings of righteousness through the Proverbs. Secondly, the purpose of Proverbs, according to the last half of verse 2, is to understand, not just to know, but to understand words of insight. Though Lady Wisdom wants us to know her and gives us very specific instructions, the Proverbs help us not only to know, but to understand. Can you see how that might be a little helpful? Two of my grandkids are barely over one year old. 
And if you ever had one-year-olds in your house, you know how this goes. They love to touch everything. And everything they touch invariably goes immediately into their mouth hole. Everything. Amen, Gabriel? And oftentimes, I look at them and I say, No! Stop it! Cut it out! Put it down! Am I the only parent in here that's ever done this, ever experienced this? But I don't imagine for a minute that Talitha or Beowulf can grasp the danger of electrical sockets or glass objects. For them, at their age, no is enough. I said no. Pop said no. Put it down. Walk away from it. But here's what we're saying about knowing instruction. If they grow up and they still require their parents or I to shield them from every harm with a sternly uttered no, that would only be an indicator of their lack of maturity. They need to go from an instruction to understanding instruction. Does that make sense to everybody? Growing up means the ability to discern and understand what is harmful as opposed to to that which is beneficial to us. This is why God gave us the proverb so that we can mature and be able to understand how life works best, how God's wisdom preserves us. We understand words of insight that we find elsewhere in the Bible. You shall not steal. You know what that is? That's God saying, no. Cut it out. Stop it. But we see in Proverbs a beautiful unfolding of some of the reasons why we shouldn't steal. We see that a life of productivity and diligence as opposed to thievery makes us happy. It makes us fulfilled in the work of our hands as well as a blessing to others in society at large. We're learning instruction by what we read in Proverbs. Thirdly, Proverbs allows us not only to know and to understand, but to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Instead of wise dealing, that phrase wise dealing, the Legacy Standard Bible says to receive discipline that leads to insight. And this speaks of our ability to be able to use the instruction given in Proverbs to make consistently wise decisions for our lives by principle, even if a specific situation isn't addressed specifically here in Proverbs. We learn to make those discretionary judgments based on the body of wisdom we find in Proverbs. Those wise decisions will give biblical and godly boundaries to our perceptions of righteousness. What is truly right? What is wrong? It'll give us perception on justice and equity. As James told us, God's wisdom infused in us will lead to peace instead of to selfishness and to fighting. How different may I ask you, would the world be if righteousness was only determined by the Bible and not by the best paid lawyers? What if our sense of justice was no longer tainted by our own rage and vengeance, but by a relentless pursuit of true equity as God defines it? What is equity as God defines it? 
It has nothing to do with socioeconomic status or race, but God's equity and God's definition is that every single one of us are sinners in need of grace. That's what the Bible teaches. And fourth, Proverbs exists in the scriptures not only to know, to understand, and to to um, perceive, or what, what was the third one? I lost my thing. To receive, rather, not perceive, receive. But to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now, prudence isn't a word we use a lot anymore, but it means what prudence is, it's wisdom that is applied to our practice. It's when we actually take the things we've read in Proverbs, memorized in Proverbs, meditated on Proverbs, and make them part of our daily practice. According to Webster, it is exercised more in foreseeing and avoiding evil than in devising and executing that which is good. And this is why when we come to talk about prudence, it's offered to whom? To the simple and to youths. The simple speaks of the gullible or the naive. Though this world praises open-mindedness and they, they hate what they call closed-mindedness, let me assure you as your pastor, we should have a mind that is slammed shut and locked against evil and worldliness. We should absolutely be determined that we will not even consider the counsels of the wicked. The simple are the most vulnerable to Madame Folly's seductions. Proverbs equips even such a one as that to know the truth, to recognize, and to avoid danger. Even the simple. But the young are also mentioned here, and it's because that the young generally are aimless. And that's not because of some defect in teenagers or children, but because they lack the benefit of experience. How many of you who are over the age of 30 have learned a significant amount through the so-called school of hard knocks? Raise your hand. How many of you would change a lot of things about what you've previously experienced because of what you know now? Raise your hand. So, there's a a great difference... uh, I'm sorry, there's a great difference rather, defense rather, granted to young people who are exposed to and immersed in the wisdom of Proverbs. If you have young children, if you have teenagers, you should make a steady practice of going through the Proverbs with them. Because it helps them as they face situations, instead of getting banged up in the school of hard knocks, to develop godly discretion. To say yes to the right things and no to destructive ones. So that worthy goals can be set by them and actually achieved. Verses four, uh, verses 5 and 6 rather, are Solomon's urgent appeal for even the already wise to bend their ear to his instruction and benefit greatly from doing so. Verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. What an awesome concept this is. No Christian has ever grown past an urgent need to return to the wisdom of Proverbs time and time again. May I say that again? No Christian has ever grown past an urgent need to return to the wisdom of Proverbs time and time again. There are many 
in our number, many who call themselves Christians, who have hard, unteachable hearts, like the Pharisees. And they're convinced that they know everything because they've been in church all their lives, because they got all the gold stars in Sunday school, because they listen to their favorite preacher's podcast week in and week out. But the one who is truly godly, genuinely godly, comes daily to the Word of God. They come daily to the Word of God, and they come hat in hand, begging for fresh supplies of wisdom. And not just wisdom for their head, but the grace to know how to meditate upon these words and the courage and the discipline to apply them. That's the truly godly person. In Revelation 2 and 3, Christ says seven times, He who has an ear, let him hear. In Proverbs, by by inspiration, the Spirit of Christ says, Let the wise hear. And what is the promise of hearing? That the wise will actually increase in learning. And the one who already understands will obtain guidance for his life. That they will specifically be given a greater measure of understanding of these types of proverbs and maxims and the words of the wise. They'll even decipher wisdom and or riddles and mysteries. That's what, the, that's what this is telling us. The deep things of Christ will come alive to the person who hears, who listens, who turns his ear towards the word of God. To illustrate this point, sometimes I'm amazed by the depth of wisdom in the Puritan John Bunyan's writings. If you've never really messed with John Bunyan, you really should. You should at least start with Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress, you can buy it in modern English versions that will really um, come alive to you. But what you need to know about Bunyan is that Bunyan was not a scholar. Never went to school. Didn't know how to read or write the English language until he was well into adulthood. He was a tinker, which meant that he banged out of metal pots and kettles and sold them on the side of the road. That was how he made his living. But he gained incredible insight in his books, you can see this, just by turning his ear to Scripture. His passion to learn to read was so that he could read the Scriptures. His knowledge was so vast that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which, if you did not know this, is the second best-selling book of all time by a wide margin, second only to the Bible. And in that book, he explains mysteries of the love and the grace and the, and the, the, of Christ and the depths of the Christian life. He explains them so clearly. And yet he was a tinker. There, I don't care if you work at Taco Bell. I don't care if you have a doctorate and are, and are in the upper echelons of Texas Tech. If you would truly be wise, turn your ear to the scriptures. Do you want to grow? Let me just ask you a question. This is a real question. This is a question that I want a response to. Do you want to grow in the wisdom of Christ? Thankfully, Solomon concludes his seven-verse introduction by telling us right where to start. Right 
how you can enter into this process. Verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We will never know anything of significance, no matter what our alma mater is, no matter how many degrees we earn, no matter how many books we read or we write, until we are in a covenantal relationship with the living Almighty God and are submitting to Him in all things. The path to wisdom, true Genuine, eternal wisdom begins when we acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord is such an important aspect of rightly understanding Proverbs that next week we're going to dedicate all of that message to considering uh, verse 7 more fully. But there's one comment that I want to make this week. You cannot reduce Proverbs to a list of moral, relational, ethical, or spiritual do's and don'ts. That would transform a book of eternal wisdom into a book of fortune cookie maxims. Just crack open your fortune cookie of the day, read what it says, and try to stick to your life. No, we're only seven verses in, and Solomon is already calling us to know God to gain wisdom. Not just to mentally assent to his proverbs, but to know God. To walk in the fear of Yahweh. Additionally, Solomon says that while pursuers of wisdom can be identified by their reverent fear of the Lord, fools can be recognized as those who despise wisdom and instruction. What does it mean to despise something? It means to hold it in contempt or to regard it as insignificant, unimportant, non-applicable. Well, we may think of the fool who is someone who is simply uneducated, someone who is uninformed, someone who is unskilled. The Bible does not use the word fool like that. It's not talking about education level. It's not talking about information received. It's not talking about skills acquired. But the Bible uses the word fool to describe one who is wicked, one who is depraved, One who is willfully obstinate in rejecting God's law. I can prove it. Psalm 53.1, it actually is repeated elsewhere in the Psalms. Says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And then he goes on to describe what a fool looks like. They are corrupt. They're doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. The person who is apart from Christ can only be reckoned to be a fool. And genuine wisdom is only found in the one who trusts God alone. Proverbs 4, 7, which I'm sure we'll get back to as we proceed It says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Your main goal in getting wisdom is to get wisdom. I always thought that was a clever way that uh, Solomon wrote that. And whatever you get, 
get insight. May the Lord not find among us here at Northridge a fool who despises wisdom. But may there be many of us who pursue wisdom, knowing that as 1 Corinthians says, Christ has become for us wisdom from God. So the pursuit of wisdom is not moral or ethical in nature or even intellectual. The pursuit of wisdom is worship. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that were we not chosen by Christ, were we not rescued by the blood of Christ, cleansed from our sin, justified before the Father, sanctified daily into your image, this would just be a ship of fools. We would all be fools, just boasting of our wisdom, shaking our fist in the face of Almighty God. So Lord, as we see what you've said to us here, we are humbled that you have granted to us wisdom from God, which is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And we pray that our investigation of the book of Proverbs would not be an intellectual pursuit, but it would be a sanctifying pursuit. That that when we're done, whenever that is, that we would look more like you, that we would not be branded fools, but we would be those who, the wise who become wiser still, the, the, the wise who obtain guidance while sitting at Christ's feet. Lord, we repent of every challenge we've ever raised to the wisdom of God and the word of God. We ask that you would conform our lives to recognize there is no wisdom outside of the fear of the Lord. And forgive us for the times that we ourselves have despised wisdom and hated correction. We thank you for all these things. You are Lord and we are not. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Could I have our communion uh, helpers come forward and help us to serve at the tables today? We... Um, Before we receive the Lord's Supper, it's a great privilege to do so. And I just want to encourage you um, uh, to somehow, we're going to be in this series for several weeks, and I would like for you to prepare yourself by beginning to spend time. I know many of you probably have Bible reading plans and things you're doing, but add to that uh, the book of Proverbs. Maybe just plan on while we're in this series, just reading a chapter every day and just thinking about what's being said and, and how it, how it, uh, two things that how it demonstrates the, the wisdom of God and how that you can apply those things to your life where you're at right now. Because everything that we're talking about comes together in the, uh, in the, this, this thing that we do every week, this partaking of the Lord's Supper. In that the Bible says, as we've said several times now, that Christ is the wisdom of God. What does that even mean? It means that, that we, God, there was a, there was a great dilemma that is described in the book of Romans, that God, who is perfectly just, 
could not overlook sin. And yet God is also perfectly gracious and could not just turn away from those that he created, those he he foreknew and elected to salvation. And so his wisdom resolved it like this, that he himself would become man and and, and take upon him the full brunt of the wrath of God for the sins of men. So that we could stand before God. Those of, uh, those of us who have been chosen by God could stand before God and receive the full forgiveness that is available because of the blood of Christ. So you want to see the wisdom of, God, of Christ vividly depicted? It's right here. In the elements that represent his broken body and his spilled blood. This is the wisdom of God in Christ. And so when you come, don't come in the, in some sort of somber, reflective, or even religious, uh, mode of thinking, come rejoicing that God offers you, uh, his, his, himself, his body, his blood at his table week in and week out so that you can remember what his wisdom has done for you. So if you're here and, and you're not a believer, we just encourage you to, to remain right where you're at. This is a, 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 a an ordinance for believers only because um, it would mean nothing to you otherwise. But we want you to know we're, we're praying for you that the Lord Jesus will um, reveal himself to you and you'll come to know him. And if you have any questions about that, you can see Pastor David or Pastor Gabriel or myself, and we would love to pray with you. But for the rest of you, come forward, receive the elements today, and we'll take them back to your seat and we'll receive them together in just a moment. Paul writes for us, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Now let's just give a moment of thanks to the Lord for his great wisdom. Thank you, Jesus, for just uh, submitting to the wisdom of God and, and willingly giving your life to ransom fools and sinners like us. Thank you, God, and we pray that you would help us to walk worthy of the calling we received in you and and to walk in wisdom. Uh, God, the wisdom that is displayed in the cross, help us to walk in that wisdom and to conform our lives to your truth and to to your uh, estimate of what is real and what is true. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would place your hands in a receiving position, I just want to pronounce this benediction over you from Colossians chapter 2. May your hearts be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach the full riches, the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed.